Welcome to the Hey Salespeople podcast, where we focus on delivering immediately actionable best practices for sales professionals. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan from SalesLoft. Hey, salespeople. Today, it is my great pleasure to host Kevin Gilman on the show. Welcome, Kevin. How are you, Jeremy? I'm doing fantastic. I'm super excited because uh, you are a the national account executive over at American Public Media. We're going to talk about selling in general and advertising sales and a bunch of other topics. But before we get there, I'd love to get to know our guests a little bit. Love to hear about maybe interesting or unusual hobby, something you picked up during the COVID time. Uh, as far as hobbies, I have five kids, so that's <laughs> that's probably my biggest hobby. In fact, my my baby is five weeks old. So, but I would tell you, picked up during COVID, I've started running again, which has been great the last six months. I'm running about 35, 40 miles a week, and uh, that's been a nice escape from my home office at times. I stopped running some time ago just to protect my knees and back. I switched to swimming. Well, looking back at your at your background and it in some ways it's natural that you went into to media sales and, and you've worked at a number of large media companies over the years, including CBS and obviously now American Public Media. You were a journalism major. Did you want to be a journalist and you found your way into sales? Like how how did that happen? Yes and no. So I knew early on in life that sales was most likely the path for me, but I had a lot of interest in journalism. Truthfully, I became a journalism major. I found a teacher I really, really liked, and I took every one of her classes. Gosh, I'm dating myself considerably on this, but early internet kind of time period where companies were just looking for content and they were hiring high school kids. I was making $25 here, free tickets to a basketball game here kind of thing. And I liked it. But then when it came time to start applying for jobs, I looked at ESPN and a bunch of other places. I went to college up in New York and I'm like, ugh. Next 15 years of my life, making 30 grand, living in my mom's basement. Eh, I don't know if this is really for me. So I changed that dream pretty fast. I've had this fascination recently with people who are just energy giving people as opposed to vampires who suck your energy away. And, and by the way, it's super easy to be a vampire, right? Like you just, do, do you find that a lot of those people who were successful in journalism fit that energy giver profile? Yeah, I agree. In sales, it's the same thing. I look back at the salespeople that I know that are successful. Man, they are laser focused on their job. Like They don't have time for BS. They do their job and, and they do it really well. I love working at home now because there's no BS. I come in, I do my job, I go home. It's certainly a balance there. You are going to miss out on some opportunities at points. What's one of uh, the most recent things you've said no to or a client you've said no to? I always tell my prospective clients, my goal is to be working with you five years from now. It's really hard for me to get you, but once you're here, you're likely not going to leave. And I had to tell a client, no. And they're like, well, our budget dictates we only have that amount of money right now. I said, then let's reconvene when the budget allows more. And I've been doing this exact job now, five years. I've seen enough of those clients come back around and say, okay, now we're ready. We have a real budget to be able to do this. That honest conversation a lot of times really pays dividends down the road for you. The successful companies we work with, I mean, this is the path they follow. And I'm not telling you we should always be following a path, but this is not the path and you're literally lighting your money on fire. Speaking of which, once upon, which reminds me, once upon a time, I was I was a CMO and uh, yeah, a decent budget and I was experimenting with different things. I got a call from someone and we we did a couple ads 
where we had like a call this number, right? And we set up a special number for people to call. No one ever called. The phone never rang. Most radio listening is in the car. You think about that. When you're, when you're driving into work, are you writing a phone number down? Are you calling immediately? Most people are driving at drive times, 7.30 in the morning. The business you're calling likely isn't open at 6 p.m. It's the wrong approach. Yeah. I always tell my prospective and current clients, marketing has changed dramatically with the advent of digital. And it's not just the advent at this point. It's the provocation of digital. It's everywhere. And it follows you on your phone and your Uber's got ads. Everyone's got ads. It's about constantly surrounding your person with all sorts of various different marketing efforts, whether it's lower funnel, high funnel, you name it. And, and, And it's important. I was talking to someone recently about outbound prospecting, cold calling, right, in general, which is you got to make a lot of calls in order to generate an opportunity, a lot of emails, a lot of LinkedIn touches, of Facebook, whatever, like all these things, you have to make so many touches. To to your point is in the advertising world, you're creating impressions, right? You're creating brand impressions and eventually people, they're warming warming up the beaches, right? And I think in some ways, outbound prospecting or cold calling is also hyper-targeted advertising. It's funny you say that. I um, look at it exactly that way. You're right, Jeremy. It, it's the same as marketing. First of all, there's not one approach that's going to work for every industry, every rep, every day. It just doesn't happen. You need to do what works for your sales methodology, your company, your product, and for your prospective clients. And I'm a big, big believer in finding your target prospect in this regard. And surrounding that person with LinkedIn messaging, with voice messaging, with phone calls, with emails, with whatever. I can't tell you the number of times I have gone to a trade show when we used to do those types of crazy things and go to events in person. Uh, One of my best clients now, he's a listener to my program. He knows my product well. I went back and looked after meeting with him in person at the trade show, I was like, that's him. I walked over, introduced myself, and he goes, I love Marketplace. I wish you would have emailed me before. And I'm sitting there being like, Alex, I've emailed you 50 times. I've left you voicemails. I've mailed you things in the mail. Like, what do I need to do to break through? And sometimes they just, it's white noise. And it, it takes a while in sales to get into that right person. You have to be relentless. If you're a bot on the buying side, you don't even realize the way that you were influenced. We're constantly being pushed with messaging, whether we realize it consciously or subconsciously. One thing I love about NPR, though, is I feel as though there is a very hard separation between the content and and even even the advertising is extremely, you must have a lot of rules. Uh, that might be another no, is like a, a customer wants to do a more traditional ad and, you know, whatever marketplaces today, marketplace is sponsored by whatever. And, and they do X, Y, Z, but that's kind of it. You, there's, there's a limit, a line they can't cross. The FCC governs public radio because they receive funds from the government. So we don't really even have a say on that, but we have done tons of brand research that shows our listeners, which are primarily C-suite executives, will come to us as a oasis away from that other advertising a little bit because they know exactly what they're getting. They're not being sold the latest Sony products when their Kai Rizdal is doing a story on Sony. Like it's it's hard at times and it's happened where Marketplace is doing a story that is about one of my clients and it's not always the greatest story. Um, they will give us a heads up ahead of time and say, just an FYI, this is coming down the pike. You might want to alert them, but 
I tell clients all the time, like, that's great. You have a story you want to pitch to marketplace. Don't tell them you spoke to me. Like, please don't tell them for your benefit. Oh, it's yeah. You just mentioned something interesting, which is whether or not the programs will take pitches of ideas. And that's not uncommon for journalists to take a pitch. They still need to have an objective point of view of how they will interpret that that information, whether they agree or disagree. What's one of, I mean, you probably listen, what, what's one of your favorite segments as, as of as of late? The thing that I love the best with Marketplace is the succinctness of, take Marketplace Morning Report with David Brancaccio, for example. That seven minutes is literally giving me everything I need to know about business on my way into the office. And with Kai's show in the afternoons, his Let's Do the Numbers, which we actually got in the last couple of months, got the ability to sell that, which is so non-public radio, the ability to sell Kai's Let's Do the Numbers. But they just do such a good job of making it sound different. You want to talk about people that are laser focused on their job, like the team at Marketplace, like they take no distractions about this is our job, putting out good content that our audience cares about. I don't care about anything else. One thing I wanted to come back to was this idea of energy giving people, you know, as you reflect on, and you said it was kind of common that, and I agree with you, I think people who are able to give energy are drawn into sales are more likely to be successful. When you think about salespeople that you've worked with in your life, who, who comes to mind as an energy giver? Tell me a little bit about that person. Listen to that question. I don't look at that and say like, I have these five people, anything they say, I love, I'm going to listen to. I kind of take bits and pieces from various different people. And I think for me, that's worked. I've been able to learn two things from this person, two things from this person. And it's funny, I look back for thinking about this now, and I'm not, I don't sit around and say, wow, so-and-so was unbelievable as a sales leader. I'm so glad I got to learn under them. I don't think of it that way. I, I take my boss now, for example, Lisa. I've never had a boss like her. She's fantastic in terms of she hires good people and lets them do their job. And I'm here if you need me, but go do your job. I hired you to go do your job and do it well. Typically coming from CBS, which is very in your face, it's a different vibe. It's did you make seven calls in the last 15 minutes? I need your metrics on this. Where's your pending for the next three hours? And it's like, whoa, I'm going to complete 180 from that. I worked with a, a woman when I was starting at CBS. She, I don't look at her in terms of the sales gurus by any stretch of the imagination, but she was ruthless with her time. And, and she had no time for crap around the office. She had no time. And I'm a big believer in you started a sales work. You look at who's doing the best and you say, what are they doing? How are they getting to that spot? And I did that in this company. A gentleman, Tim, we work with, and I picked his brain as much as I possibly could and be like, what's working? What's not working? Do this, do that. Got it. Cool. I think that's important to pick and choose a couple of tidbits here and there that, that work for you. There are things that work and they're timeless. And then there are things that work and they're fleeting. I mean, a timeless thing you've already mentioned is the time is the ruthless time management. What's another, what's another timeless thing that works in, in the sales context? That, that you live in in advertising sales? I think it's really in any type of job. I can't tell you when I see sales executives that are not performing, I'm like, well, no crap, you're not doing the work. Like, it's what did you expect was going to happen here? Hard work is almost always rewarded. It's very rare you see someone put in the effort and not be semi-rewarded for that. Productivity is, is I think of as effort or activity times the effectiveness of that activity. 
easy formula to say, and, and the effort is it was willpower, I suppose. The effectiveness, though, does depend on things. Uh, one of them is obviously cumulative knowledge. You mentioned your boss, Lisa, is hiring people and letting them do their thing. That I think you can do when you're hiring people like you who have 10 plus years under their belt in what you're doing. If Lisa was hiring people who were coming from other industries and didn't have the knowledge, I would presume that she would adapt to provide more coaching to those individuals and more mentorship to those individuals. We talked about things that are are more long-lived. W- what about a practice that you might have used in the past in sales that you think is not effective anymore? I'm a big believer in cold calling. I love cold calling. I think it needs to be refined though. Long, long gone of getting your legal pad or your Excel doc or whatever and just dialing for dollars. I think that's gone. I think you need to be targeted. And truthfully, that's why I love an operation like, like Sales Loft. It allows you to do your metrics for the day. And, and I know that people I have loaded in my cadences allow me to boom, 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 hit my people as I go. The other thing I think is gone is entertaining at sporting events. I, I don't think it's gone, but it, it's slowly dying. I don't think people have time for that anymore. The schmoozing of, I'm not telling you don't take your client to lunch or coffee or something, but the three plus hours at the, the sporting event, I, I just don't know how many of that exist anymore on a national level, on a, on a local level when some guy brings his kid to the game. Yeah, th- that may be a part of it, but the businessmen in suits talking business 6 p.m. to midnight is gone at this point, I think. I agree with you. And I, I, I don't play golf. <laughs> so that was never a thing. And maybe I missed out in the past on that. I've, as a buyer, also just turned down any, any sporting event types of things. What, what I do enjoy is I do enjoy into, like more intimate four-person to maybe up to 12 people meals. And not lunch so much because you're just right. You're just you're too busy during the middle of the day. But I will definitely I'll definitely sit down for for the business dinner. What I don't want is I don't want someone pitching to me. I think that's also sort of also gone. Right? Is that you you would go to these dinners and then there would be a pitch at some point. Someone would break out a, a projector or someone would stand up and pitch. It's a softer sell now, which is get people who are birds of a feather together, be intelligent about seating, and then just have a good time. It's about providing value. I was at a wedding this weekend and you wouldn't think that like my work world could somehow be involved in that. But I was at the wedding and I was talking to someone on the side of the family that I knew. And she was saying like, oh, I I run these conferences and I'm always looking for blah, blah, blah. Just we were talking about work in general. I didn't know what she did. And I said, oh, like, do you need cybersecurity people? She's like, oh, my God, that's the area. I don't have anyone. I said, I can text someone for you right now texted one of my clients and I said, I got an opportunity for your CTO to speak at a huge conference next month. She goes, oh my God, that's fantastic. Like that didn't make me any money. That helped two different people that I care about. I like to think those types of actions down the road when they're reevaluating vendors or that person leaves to go somewhere else, they're going to say, oh God, no, we absolutely have to buy marketplace because of this, this, and this. Like that's what makes you a partner with people. And that really differentiates. I, you actually just preempted the the question I've been waiting to ask. So I love that. In what you do, how do you create value? Because you, you mentioned gurus going around and I'm with you, like saying XYZ is dead. And another thing gurus do is they say like add value on every interaction, but they never quite tell you how. I love talking to sellers on on what they actually do. And, and that thing about just creating value by giving an opportunity for your customer to get kind of exposure 
is a big one, whether it's on a podcast, speaking at a conference, writing a blog, like providing your customers with exposure, I think is critical. The, the other one I, I love, introduce clients or prospects, cl- prospects to each other, clients to clients, like whatever, for one-on-one in-depth conversations about best practices that have nothing to do necessarily. I mean, they may or may not even talk about your company and who cares? Like you just provide value to them and networking them to somebody else interesting to, to geek out with. And, and I agree. Connecting clients is huge. Inevitably, they're going to remember that connection, I hope, between how they got together. I have two clients in New York that they've become pretty good friends at this point. And they go out to lunch on each other and great, have at it. It just kind of naturally kind of comes up in my conversations. They'll say, oh, we're hiring a demand gen person. I'll be like, I got someone for you. Like making that connection for them, even if they don't get the job, that's fantastic because I'm not making money from that. And they're sitting there saying like, well, this guy's not making money from that. He just wants to get this person who's best for my company into this job. That's That stands out a little bit, even if it's not the person they end up hiring. And not only that, but I'm helping someone I know who's looking for a job or is looking to move jobs as well. I'm sure it's one of the foundations of trust building is doing something for other people when you have no, certainly extrinsic. I mean, there's always intrinsic benefit from helping people, right? Good karma. But when you have no extrinsic benefit, and it's especially unusual for salespeople, I think you even build more trust as a salesperson than as a non-salesperson by doing something that doesn't put money in your pocket, anything you can do like that. It actually makes me think about what is customer in in the SaaS world. uh, We have a lot of guests from the SaaS world to that talk about customer success. What, what does customer success look like in the advertising world? I look at it two ways. The first is renewals. If a client's renewing with you, whether it's a three month, six month, 10 months, whatever it may be, usually a pretty good sign that something has gone right, that they're going to spend their limited budget with you. So that, that's a good sign. At the end of the day, and, and I think this is really in any type of sales, you need to be upfront in your discovery call and say like, what what does success look like on the other side of this for you? Whether it's a renewing client who may have changed their goals, or is it a prospective client who you're talking to for the first time? I was just on a call right before talking with you, Jeremy, and the, and the gentleman was saying, they're ready in October, blah, blah, blah. I'm saying, well, what does the end of this campaign look like for you guys? Because if it's not realistic, then I'm going to be upfront with you now and save us all the aggravation that six months post-campaign is going to bring. And this isn't going to work. As I said, the onset of this, it's hard for me to get clients. I have to work my tail off to get one client. The last thing I want to do is have them come on for three months and then disappear. In the SaaS world, I've never sold SaaS, but I would imagine it's the same thing. If you sell them and then it doesn't work for them, they're gone. Once you sell, do you stay involved or do you hand it off to some program manager or something like that to make sure that they send the media? No, I'm, I'm as full cycle as they get. You'll get their recording and all the and report back to them on the number of listeners and all that sort of thing. I even get down to the nitty gritty in terms of invoicing. I'm as full cycle as you possibly could get at this point. Was CBS that way, or is it more the scrappiness of the not-for-profit American public media world? No, I mean, as far as I know, most ad sale companies in general are that way. At CBS specifically, where I was at the CBS Philadelphia. We instituted my last year there, maybe last two years, a program where we had young executives that were appointment setting, didn't really go that great. 
we weren't set up as well as the SAS world set up. Their goal was to schedule meetings. They didn't care if they were good. They didn't care if the person really knew I was coming to that meeting. Their goal was just to schedule them. And they were bonus based off of that. So what we would see is I would get to these meetings or we weren't doing many virtual meetings back then. And I would show up and be like, hey, I'm here to meet with Jeremy. They're like, who are you? And I'm like, they're like, I never knew you were coming. So it didn't work great. All of a sudden, you're sitting there with a pissed off client. The media buyers are probably not conditioned to have that experience. I, I've actually been thinking a lot about all companies say they're customer first, and yet they hand people off from you know SDR to AE to this and to that and the other thing, and how valuable it is to have continuity with the, the salesperson. You know, you can certainly have support for the salesperson, either digital support or even humans who come in as as subject matter experts. But I, I think it's a fascinating change that we're I expect we will will start to shift a little bit. Well, we're we're nearly out of time and I'm going to switch back to the personal. So I'm curious for, you know, for those folks who are are starting a family or you know, are growing their family, what did what is something that you thought about parenting that turned out to be wrong and you've adapted, you've had to adapt? Well, it's funny. You have a vision of what your parenting style is going to look like when your wife's pregnant for the first time and you're starting to envision what life with kids is like, you think like, I'm going to be out there having a catch every day with my son. And I'm going to, my, my house is never going to, you go into houses and there's, there's clothes all over the place and there's crumbs all over the place. Like my house is never going to be that way. And it's like that stark reality where it just hits you. Like, yeah, we're going to be one of those houses. You, you adjust on the fly, especially with five kids. I mean, we're, we're, there are things that just aren't going to be perfect. Yeah. Yeah. The, I guess the, the flexibility uh, I think the most unexpected thing for me was I was really worried before we had kids that I was going to be a hyper-controlling parent. I've been told by my children that I'm I'm among the most chill parents out there because I, as long as they're being good humans, they get to do what they want. Being a parent, in my mind, is no different than being a sales manager. And we were talking about my boss, Lisa. You put your people, your kids in this instance, in a position to do the right thing, you teach them everything, and you show them everything, and you give them the principles they need to go on, you can be pretty trusting with them at that point until they break that trust. Same type of uh, style there. That's a, I love the way you brought that full circle. So we will, we will end on that. So Kevin, it was such a pleasure having you on. Thanks for teaching us about the world of advertising sales. I think you might be the first guest we've had who, who sells in that world. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Thanks, Jeremy. Hey, Salespeople is a production made in partnership with Frequency Media. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan. This podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever podcasts are found. Thanks for listening to the Hey, Salespeople podcast.